Hello and good morning. This is Hilda, your Hilda from Hilda's Shoulder. It's been a while since I did a podcast and uh, my insomnia is back again. It's about uh, 3.54 in the morning. Um, I actually did a recording before, but I don't know, something went wrong, so I'm doing this again. Um, today's podcast gets is um, takes its inspiration from the recent allegation by Busola Dakolo of uh, rape by the uh, lead pastor of Koza Church. His name is Yodun uh, Fatoyimbo. But I just want to draw some learning points from the matter or draw some, uh, yeah, I want to draw some points from it. Um, the issue is that none of us was there, and whatever it is that actually transpired between the two of them is known by them both. Now, how it is imp- interpreted by each of them can possibly differ. Um, I think that to a large extent, um, I'll just talk about the things that I, I think are very important um, here. Number one in Nigeria is the influence of religion. Somebody said that religion is the opium of the masses, and that's really not too much far from the truth. Now, somebody, I think initially, when we all heard the story, and maybe I should just speak about myself, initially when I just heard there was an allegation of rape against the pastor, um, my emotions were that the pastor used his authority uh, you know, on this uh, poor girl at the time, and he, he raped her, and that she's been living with him all this time, and she could not come out and say, me too, before now. That was my initial feeling. But when I watched, I didn't really watch much of the uh, her first interview, the one when she talked about the alleged rape being done in her, her home, you know, her family house. It was the second one about the rape by the, you know, along the road, you know, behind the car. That was the one I sat down to listen to. And I'm not really keen on uh, whether she, she, the allegation is true or not, but I just want to say a few things. that After listening to the second interview, the truth is that I kind of switched my emotions and my opinion about things changed a little bit. You know, and right now where I stand is, I don't want to be sound like I don't believe her, but there are a lot of things that can make the argument swing one way or the other. Um, the first thing is that um, a lot of us have, you know, while we're growing up, maybe you had a near sexual um, thing, sexual harassment thing or sexual abuse in near miss and for most people you know even when they were small and even if they were talkative children most children would not tell their parents i don't know there's just something in a child uh, or young teenager you would know that something is wrong because i remember when i was maybe i think i was less than 15 or so and we had a driver that, you know, lived in uh, the boys' quarters behind the house. And I didn't understand then that the driver, maybe he had a question or something, I don't know, but I was very young. And then one day when my, you know, my mom was out and my brother was 
plane. I can't even remember how it happened, but he came too close to me, you know, and instinctively I knew that it was wrong and it was not something I liked at all. I'm not sure. I think I slapped him and then I I called him names and I made sure that I was never in a situation where I was close to him or alone with him. But the funny thing was that I didn't tell. And for a lot of girls too, I'm sure a lot of girls have had that experience either with cousins or uncles or family friends or something, teachers, lesson teachers. And, you know, this could be one of the things that held Bisola back. Like I said, I'm not interested in whether she was raped or she wasn't raped per se. I'm just, we're just talking here. So that could be one of the reasons because some people will say, well, why, why would she hold it down for 17 years? And then just come out and see me too. So many things. And I'm also a firm believer that um, because we're married or dating, we don't have to tell each other every single thing that happens in our lives. We should share the things that are material, you know. And it's not even possible to share every single thing that's happened in your life. I mean, you might not even remember some of those things. So that's one of the reasons. Um, Another reason could be this thing I'm always talking about. If you remember... Uh, one of the podcasts I did before about um, labels, and one of the labels that affects the African woman, particularly the Nigerian woman, is this issue of shame. Shame from our religion. Um, the shame from the religion ends up inside your conscience. That's the voice in your head. And then the second part of the shame comes from custom, society, family. Now, a lot of us grew up um, you know, you grow up, especially when you go, oh, don't do this. If you do this, like in Yoruba, you say, ah, ashiriabu. Ashiriabu means may our secrets remain secret. So if you do this, you'll disgrace the family name. You bring the family name to disrepute and all of that. So girls grow up that way, thinking that, Anything untoward that happens to them has happened to them as a result of their own direct fault, in which case they would not want to tell um, their parents because maybe they feel the parents would feel that they contributed to whatever it was that happened to them or that the family name will be dragged in the mud if anybody gets to know about it. So that's another possible reason why, why... Busola kept quiet, and why a lot of people keep quiet as well. After the shame, first of all, uh, I think there's shame and fear. Um, In many cases, the abuser or potential abuser, you know, will scare the victim. The abuser is usually older than the victim. Would scare the victim and say things like, I'll tell them that you came on to me. Or if you tell, I'll kill you, or I'll hurt you, or I'll do this and I'll do that. And because of the training that we've received that does not um, give us information to, or give us the strength to defy, you know, we grow up, um, when we grow up, we'll sit down there, stop making noise, um, eat your food, finish your food, uh, go to school. So the system does not encourage, um, in our culture, a child that talks back to his mother or his his you know or her mother, 
or parents generally. In fact, any elderly person is a rude child. So if an adult is telling you to do something that is not right, you know, the culture does not allow a child to say, oh, I'm so sorry, um, I don't think this is right, or my parents said this is right, it's not right, I won't do it. So you have this emotional inertia. You're suffering from something and probably not liking it. Most people, you know, would not like it, but they're, they're frozen, you know, the fear of an older person is there, the fear of the parents, and then, should I say, the fear of shame, the fear of, yes, the fear of shame and embarrassment. So it could be the reason why she just lay down and took it like a man, if I, if, if I may be allowed to use that expression. Um, it could also be that, and this is the part that I personally find very interesting, a lot of people in Nigeria. I mean, Nigeria is one of those places where you have um, more number of churches, more churches than in many countries. Every two-bit uh, room, every store, from store to store, within close proximity is a church. Um, it's either an established church or a church of two, four people, five people. You've gone ahead and rented a small apartment in a two or three story building and they start from there and usually, you know, the opium of the people it it grows. You know, sometimes I think it's just because of our poverty level and um, the uh the remnants of people that practice idolatry you know years ago. Um because I think that, you know, and I'll be very, very impartial with Christians because I, I really don't know much about being a Muslim. I don't know how it works. And, you know, maybe the imam has some influence on, you know, obviously their followers, obviously, I mean, most definitely not obviously because people are willing to even uh, let go of, the, of their lives, you know, for the sake of their faith. But in Christendom is a bit different. Um, people may not go to the extent of taking their lives for the faith, but they see the God, you know, they see the pastor as a small God. And in many cases, you even hear that some pastors preach doctrines that are even slightly different from what the Bible preaches, and yet people take what the pastor says or the vicar, whoever is, they take it hook, line, and sinker, and they take it as something that came as inspiration from God. So this pastor has become a, a small, a God with a small G, and he wields so much influence, and people are in awe of him. His word is law. And it becomes some kind of um, mind thing where... He, I've even heard of cases where the church arrangement has become cult-like. In a case, you know, what I mean by that is there's sometimes where one or two members of the congregation want to kick against what the pastor is doing. Let's say, for instance, he's doing something wrong. And the other members of the congregation more or less socially excommunicate the person, um, make the person so uncomfortable that the person has to leave the church and go to another 
We've even heard of um, cases in church where there is a difference in understanding, interpretation, or the doctrine, you know, the doctrine that is being preached by the pastor is being challenged by another member of the church and then somehow, somehow, that other member of the church decides to break away and form his own little church. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that pastors wield a lot of influence. And if you've had time, if you've seen the pastor, I mean, like I have on the internet, he's a dish. I mean, he's very handsome. He looks tall. I don't know if he's really tall and like he's slim. doesn't have a pot belly. He looks very youthful. And he talks with a lot of charisma and uh, poise. And, you know, I can just imagine those young girls. And I can just imagine a younger Bisola too, crushing over this pastor. And really wishing in their hearts that he would, you know, step to them and say he liked them. Which is very, you know, normal. It's the same way young boys crush over their teachers and young girls crush over their male teachers. So, let's just say that. A lot of girls are in awe of him, and in their hearts, they'd wish that, oh, well, yeah, even if he's married, you know, it'd be nice if he just toasted me. Not that I would agree because I'm a child of God and all of that, but the desire is there. And we know what psychologists say about our conscious and our subconscious. 90% of the things that we do, 90% of the things we say, actually emanate from the subconscious. And the subconscious keeps working even when we are not conscious, i.e., even when we are asleep. And that is why in a lot of ways, if you are the type that dreams, in your dreams, if you, there's a problem or something you're pondering about, your dreams, some of your dreams will tend to look for a solution to that. Maybe you have a money problem, you might go to bed and dream that you won the lottery or somebody just dropped money in your lap, you know, something like that. So the con- subconscious works, it keeps working even when you're not conscious and it actually controls you. So it could be that because of my culture, my religion, and all of that, on the face of it, I am saying I cannot go down with the pastor. I can't do this. But our subconscious desperately wants and needs the pastor in our lives. So we might seemingly on the top of it, and it's possible again that this pastor has realized that he has so much power over these girls, and he will just basically take advantage of it, knowing that... I mean, knowing what, what I've talked about, knowing that they won't want to come out and knowing that it's possible that they're enjoying what is going on. So who knows? Who knows whether they actually dated, did it once or twice or three times, who knows? And at some point, because he had so many probably beautiful girls, he decided to move on and he left a bitter taste in their mind. I mean, this is just fiction on my part. I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know. Um so you have these pastors wielding so much influence. And I mean, I've even seen situations and I've heard, you know, some people say that when the stories about women that couldn't, you know, had problems with conceiving, you know, going to meet the men of God in court and the solution the, men, the man of God would give them is that he would pass some holy whatever it was holy fertility to her and it would be after sleeping with her that she'll be able to conceive. We've heard of things like this before and you wonder some of these people are educated. I mean if they were all illiterate we would say it was ignorance. But when you take your religion to such a point that the your thinking defies logic 
Yeah, some people will say religion has nothing to do with knowledge, but for instance, if you have sworn before God and man that your husband would be the one and only man that will sleep with you till just do you part, and because you need a child, the solution is sleeping with. I mean, I, I don't remember seeing anywhere in the Bible where Jesus Christ slept with anybody so that you know the person could conceive. It doesn't make any sense, and it breaks all the natural and spiritual laws of marriage. So these things happen. Um, I talk about shame a lot, and um, we grew up on it. We grew up with that shame feeling, um, not wanting to expose ourselves unduly. So that could be responsible for um, Bissola's freezing. You know, I, I talked about that a bit. And it could, you know, I think the, the, the work we need to do is to um, raise our daughters, uh, try as much as possible to de-emphasize this issue of shame. And I think we don't do enough in terms of letting our daughters know, of course, depending on the age of your daughter, letting our daughters know exactly what to expect. You know, sometimes you go out with someone um, telling yourself as you're going out that, some level of activity would not take place. And before you know what's happening, not only is it done, it's done and dusted. So we need to um, help our daughters, even if we don't know how to do it. There's so much material out there. It's not like when in, in the 80s, when if you don't have the book, you know, you can't do some research. Now you can even conduct a lot of research very discreetly, um, get material and sit your daughter down and tell her the realities that sometimes your mind would warn you, but your body, which is your flesh, your flesh would desire someone so much so. And if you don't handle things properly, you know, if you're not in the right place at the right time, or if you don't go out of you to avoid some certain situations, you'll see that it keeps happening over and over again. And um, so we need to arm our daughters with information and then we need to give them that um, open door thing policy to encourage them to tell us if anything untoward happens. Usually whoever it is does not just come into your home, whether it's your nephew or your or your family friend or they don't or uncle, they don't just come on the first time they're you know, the first time and rape or touch inappropriately it is actually in interaction after some interaction over a period of time so that they can gain the trust of the daughter or the son you know because i've heard stories too that boys have been uh, abused sexually so if at the point that if you um, guide your daughter or your son to develop a very sensitive radar so that once the first inappropriate touch happens, they can feel free to tell you without feeling that you will get angry at them or blame them for inviting it upon themselves, you know. And that's one. And then two, we need to get them, we need to get our children in touch with their parts. Um, we have read a few books that said we should teach our children to call their names, their, their private parts with their, you know, their proper names. When we try to, when we give private parts different names, when we say things like Pipi, Kokoro, you know, 
you we use euphemisms. We don't want to call the proper names. You say bomb bomb for both the front and the back, and the child is telling you, Auntie touched my bomb bomb, and you don't know which bomb bomb it is. And somehow you're also running away from that, hearing that you don't want to hear anything like that. And somehow, one way or the other, you you ignore it, you know. You notice that the younger children are even more upcoming, you know, they, uh, they readily talk about this, tell you, oh, he's beating me. It might not be beating him, beating in that way. It might be that they're touching, they're being touched, you know, inappropriately. So we should, you know, try to teach our children to call, you know, call the names of the particular private part its name so that when the child is telling you something you you know you on you know the you know the gravity of it whether it's a wrong touch or a right touch then another thing is even when we are telling our children about our body parts or we're telling them to um, uh, report someone that touches them inappropriately the danger or the fear level that comes out of our mouths also would not encourage the child to tell you if something like that is going on because the child remembers your face when you were saying, don't let anybody, don't, don't let any uncle put you on their lap. Don't let any uncle touch you. So I think when you're giving them the, you know, the, when you're telling them, trying to sensitize them, it should be in a very relaxed atmosphere. And you just emphasize wrongness and rightness without necessarily um, putting so much fear, you know, in what you're saying of, and for human beings, we just naturally want to avoid anything that looks like a disapproval from our parents or our elders. And um, that's my interpretation of um, uh, what happened between uh, Bisola, so-called Bisola and the um, pastor. So we should be very careful the way we, uh, we expose our children to strangers when i say strangers anybody that even if it's family members i mean anybody outside of the nuclear arrangement there's nothing like a boy is too innocent or he's too christian or too muslim for him or her to try anything with our children so we need to update our children's knowledge and give them that confidence that even when they come to us we will believe them we'll do whatever is necessary to protect them so this means not leaving your children unduly with every and anybody. Um, taking steps, for instance, if you can afford to have CCTVs in your home, which you can uh, have access to on your phone. If you can afford it, why not? I mean, uh, a few hundred thousands to save your daughter or your son from being sexually molested, I think is an investment in the right direction as against... Um, irreparable damage that is done to your child if you just, you know, leave loose ends and you leave things hanging and you just put your hands together and pray that the devourer will not come into your home. So we should be more proactive about these things and we should be real. When we are talking about the birds and bees, I'm not saying you should be graphic in detail, but you should give as much information as possible and tell your children what's out there so that when they see a hint of it, you know, they will know how to respond to it. Then when people say this, I find this very amusing when people say, well, that, well, 
if a woman is dressed seductively or she's exposing parts of her body, she hasn't said no. Now, in law, there's something called contributory, contributory negligence. In this case, we all know that a number of men cannot control themselves. So if we're wearing a dress or an outfit that is very, very revealing, very seductive, and you start to complain when the man begins to touch you, especially in Nigeria here, you know, there's a, there's a proverb that says that if you don't want to get wet, don't go to the stream. So we're not like Oimbo people. I mean, our understanding is that you dress that way because, number one, you're either loose or you're a lady of the night or you're looking for male attention by all means. So pay attention to your dressing. I'm not saying don't, don't look sexy. A lot of women say they are not dressing for men. They are dressing for you. Okay, dress for yourself. But dress, even if you need to be seductive, dress in a way that doesn't give the wrong impression about the kind of person you are. Even if you say you don't give a hoot. Down the line, as far as Nigeria is concerned, it does matter. Okay, I've said my two bits for today. Um, as usual, um, you can visit my blog. It's Hilda's Shoulder. Hilda's is H-I-L-D-A-S-S. Then the shoulder, of course, H-I-L-D-A-S-H-O-U-L-D-E-R Hildershoulder.com.ng is a blog where I have um, romantic fiction, poetry and some women's health stuff there for you to read. I also have... Uh, you can send me an email if you have a comment about this podcast or any other. It's, um, the email is Hildershoulder4u at gmail.com The 4 is figure 4 and the U is letter U. So... Hilda's shoulder is also on the social media. It's Hilda's shoulder on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. I'd really love to hear feedback from you. If you have any particular topic you think I I should discuss, which I haven't, you can let me know, and I'll give attention to it. So till I chat with you again, it's bye bye.